All right, my name is Matt, um, and I am supposedly preaching this morning. We'll see how it goes. Um, and I, I bring it. I like that. Um, I work with the youth group here, uh, primarily the high schoolers. I work with Greg um, here at Harvest, and uh, also I work with Young Life, uh, which is um, an arm of the church organization, uh, also working with youth as well. Um, and Gary's gone, and Greg got the easy passage of moms. Um, and they, it's like, so so often it feels like when they ask me to preach, they're like, hey, Matt, preach this one. And I'm like, oh, let's see what it is. Oh, sin, sweet. <laughs> so Greg and Gary are, are working me over time and time again to give me all the easy passages, that's for sure. Um, we've been going through Romans, if you're joining us for the first time today. Uh, we're landing in Romans chapter 7, um, starting at verse 7. Um, and kind of what Paul's been doing at this point throughout Romans, like I've seen this time and time again, he he reiterates like what he says in different ways, sometimes actually in the same ways. And I'm kind of like, Paul, dude, can you just be succinct uh, and only say it once? But he doesn't. And so there's a purpose and there's a reason um, to it. And, and a lot of that's happening in this first section of verses that we're going to dive into today. It's almost like that there's going to be... Um, a first kind of part to the sermon, and then a second part to the sermon, and then we'll see how they kind of connect together as well. So we're starting in verse um, 7 of chapter 7, and I'm reading from the NLT this morning um, primarily because I love the wording uh, for the 14 through 25 um, in, in how it reads. But So I'm going to be reading from that, and it's up on the screen. If you don't have the NLT, that's totally fine. Feel free to follow along in whatever um, version you have. Starting in verse 7, Well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said, you must not covet. But sin used this command to arouse all kind of covetous desires within me. If there was no law, sin would not have that power. At one time, I lived without understanding the law. But when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to life, and I died. So I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. Sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me. It used the commands to kill me, but still the law itself is holy, and its commands are holy and right and good. But how can that be? Did the law which is good cause my death? Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death, so we can see how terrible sin really is. It uses God's good commands for its own evil purposes. Well, that's intense, so let's pray. God, thank you for being good 100% of the time. Lord, and I... I know that you want to speak this morning, and I know you want to speak to each of us, God. So if my words get in the way of that for any individual here, would you just keep them out, Lord, so that they can hear from you? Um, God, I just pray that we would respond to who you are, God, whether it's in this passage or to one of the songs we sing or a prayer or, or something that you're just specifically saying to one of us through your spirit. God, would we just have a heart that wants to respond to who you are, that we have to be changed because we serve a king. God, thank you that we already know the end to the story. We already know that you have overcome sin, Lord, but how do we struggle through still being fallen? God, would you show us this morning what you have for each of us, Lord, 
Thank you for being who you are. In your name, amen. All right, um, so we are going to watch a short clip uh, right now because I'm going to let this video do most of the work for me. All right, um, that's the Bible Project. Um, if you're ever, like, if you're into that kind of stuff, they do such a good job of making very theological and heady or very, like, historical things um, connect and make sense. And there's pictures, and I love pictures. They always help me out. Um, so look up the Bible Project. Uh, they're based out of Portland, um, and they're, they're going through the whole Bible. Sometimes they do some topical ones as well, and then um, they go, they're going book by book. So that, that section was chapters, I think, six all the way um, to the end of Romans. Um, so if you want to watch one of those, it really helps uh, this time. But really, what this first section in Romans is saying, what Paul is trying to communicate, because we've seen um, how the law... Like, it's brought this burden, it's brought this shame, it's brought this guilt. Like, Paul's, Paul's saying, no, hang on. Like, the law is good. What God gave us is good. And I know for me, like, sometimes as a Christian, I, I, I look to the Old Testament, and I see what they had to follow in the law, and I'm like, I'm so glad I don't have to do that anymore. I'm so glad I don't follow these things all the time. And while that's totally true, like, God said it was good, and it had good purposes, um, and it was a good thing. God, when he created in the beginning, everything that God has ever created, he said it's good. Um, and then when man and woman are created, he said it was very good. And so Paul's reiterating that this law that was given to Moses, it was a good thing. Um, so why they were given the law, just a little backstory is is first... These Israelites, these Jews, all they had ever known for a long time was slavery, right? Before Moses' time, they were in Egypt, and they had been commanded. They had been ruled. They had been told what to do. They didn't have much choice of what was good and what wasn't. It was decided for them. So when you're given freedom, I know that for myself as well. When I, when I moved out of my parents' house, I'm like, this is sweet. <laughs> I don't have to do what they said anymore. Um, Kind of. Um, <laughs> I should, though. Um, and so the, the Jews, the Israelites, they're, they're free now. Um, but who's going to decide what's good now? Are they going to decide? Are they going to choose what's good? Or are they going to go, the God that freed them from that slavery, are they going to follow what he says is good and what he says is not good? And that's why they were given this law. Ultimately, we know later to point us to Jesus. But God gives them these good commands. Don't do this. Don't do that, um, because if you do, that is sin. Uh, and so they were given that. In Hebrews 10, 16, it says, This is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. One day, like God's full law will be fully written on our hearts and on our minds. I think this speaks of, of what God's giving us through his spirit now and what he's giving us for his kingdom coming as well, for eternity. That God's full law will be written on our hearts and written on our minds. And once again, all we will know is good because of God's law. Because God's law says what is good. We won't even know what's bad anymore. We'll be back like it was in the garden. But then, why do we feel this burden? Why do we feel like this guilt or shame when we don't follow these commands. Why do we feel like it's better that we don't have that law and, and we have what we have now a lot of the time? Well, in this passage says, sin seizing the opportunity took advantage of the command 
and aroused all kinds of forbidden desires. That's a really intense um, picture of sin, I think. A really graphic kind of picture of sin. What it kind of reminded me of um, is it's kind of like these pictures over here, actually. Um, so we can pull up some of the slides just for you that maybe can't see across the room. So I want you guys to imagine with me. This may be a little weird. I'm over here. Hey. Um, imagine with me um, this girl before she's crying. And this girl, she wants to be loved. Um, she desires relationship. She desires what's good. She desires to be known and fully loved. And so she seeks relationship. And she seeks it with a guy. Um, and, and I also want to just say really quick, stepping outside of this story, uh, that I'm going to make the guy the bad guy in this story. But I know that often, and I, I say this because I've experienced this in my life, and I don't want guys here to be pigeonholed that in relationships, they're always the bad guys, <laughs> and that girls are always the ones that get screwed over. So I don't want anyone to ever feel like for a second like that they're alone in that because um, because I'm only speaking to one side of it, because I think that's something especially Christian culture does quite often. Anyways, jumping back into the story. Um, so this girl desires that relationship, meets this guy. This guy approaches her with flowers, approaches her with, with taking her out, getting coffee, reading the word, um, you know, whatever the case may be, all this good stuff together. And she feels this love. She feels this acceptance. She feels like she's known, and she can share everything with this guy. But what she doesn't know is this guy has ulterior motives. That what he's putting out there to seem so good, in turn, he's going to flip it on its head to get her to sleep with him. And because what she's known is this is a good thing, this is a great thing, this is, this is awesome, she ends up stepping into that, sleeping with him, and then he bails on her. And she's completely devastated. What does this have to do with the law? I see that sin sees this good thing, the law, this girl, this pure girl, and sin, in turn, wants to arouse these desires that currently this girl doesn't have yet. That it sees this opportunity of, like, she's so vulnerable. Like, I can use this to my own ends. I can use this to get what I want. And sin does that in us. We see God's laws. We see that they're supposed to be good, supposed to be pure, supposed to be right. Sin warps it so that it leads us to arousing these desires. We're seeing that we're not supposed to covet. We're seeing we're not supposed to lust. We're like, what's coveting? What's lust? And then we end up learning about it. When I, when I was in school, I realized that I never learned what racism was until it was taught to me, um, that it was racist. Instead of saying, like, this is how we should treat people, it was saying, this is how we shouldn't treat people. Um, and so that's how I learned what racism was. I had never looked at someone of another color differently until I learned, like, oh, people used to think of other people differently, like, in this way. And so this girl, then, is broken. And this sin of, like, even though the law was supposed to be good, it aroused these desires in her, and then she sins, and she's broken, and the pain enters into this relationship. And then we have this lovely picture of Don May. Um, and then because of that, and she continues to compare now, since she sinned, compare herself to the law and what God says, she sees that she doesn't add up. The Bible says if, we, if we've broken one law, like we've, we've sinned and we've broken all of them, you know, because God's law is perfect and holy and good. And we broke one thing, it festers and it goes, 
into all of it. And so as this girl now has these new desires, she carries around this bag of trash, of this guilt, of this shame, that she feels like, well, now I have to try harder to be perfect. Now I have to try harder to be good. Now, now if I just like will it, then maybe I can, I can remove some of that sin by doing good things or being better this next time around. But as we know in the gospel, we can't remove sin by our works, by our good deeds, by what we think is best. This is kind of what Paul like is describing here and why he uses such graphic like language with it. Like he's saying sin wants to take advantage of you. Sin just like this guy with this girl, it wants to use what's good, what you think is right and flip it on its head so that you fall. And then you have to go back and look at the law again and compare yourself and you don't add up. And that guilt, that shame seeps, pours in. But this is a precursor to what Paul is going to go into next um, in verses 14 through 25. So uh, that's kind of where we're going to sit in the rest of our time together today. So let's read that. And as we read this, why I like the NLT version of this so much is I want you to imagine that you've been hanging around with Paul for a little while. um, And Paul's got this journal that he writes in. And you're so curious, like, what does he say? Like, what does Paul write about? What does Paul think? Like, what's going on inside of Paul? And one day he sits it down, and then he leaves. And you're like, oh, man, this is my opportunity. Um, Maybe you've had a sister or a girlfriend where they've, like, sat down their journal before or something like that, and you're like, I want to look. I don't think I'm guilty of that. That's pretty sweet. Um, It's happened to me, though, which is weird. Like, what in the guy's journal do you want to read? And so then you take this opportunity pick up the journal, you open it up to the middle, and this is where you land of what Paul is saying. This is like from Paul's heart of his own personal struggle. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So am I not the one doing wrong? Is sin living in me? It it is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is? In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. In this passage, 
Um, while it's kind of worded funny in some ways because of how Paul says, I don't do and I do and I sin, but I don't want to. And it really just shows this struggle, you know, like you sometimes like when I'm wrestling through stuff in my own brain, I like say the same thing over and over and over again because it's just this wrestling match of going back and forth and back and forth. And I don't understand this and I don't get this. And why does this keep happening? And you really get to see that like here with Paul. And some theologians believe that Paul is talking, this is like an entry in Paul's like writings from when, before he was a Christian, um, when he was really following the law. Um, but as Gary and I were talking about it, like neither of us and, and other theologians believe that this is while Paul was walking with Jesus, uh, that he felt this struggle, which I think is way more encouraging, um, if this is Paul walking with Jesus and struggling, because then we're like, Oh, like this guy that wrote most of the New Testament, he struggles like I do walking with Jesus. Instead of Paul just being up on this pedestal, up on this pillar of like, this guy does no wrong. This was before Jesus that he struggled with this stuff. Later, Paul talks about this thorn in his flesh that gets at him all the time, and he's reminded of his own struggle. So let's wipe away what I said there um, of, of this being Paul. Um, before he knew Jesus, and let's just say this is Paul when he's walking with Jesus, that he is feeling this turmoil, this struggle. He's still feeling sin at work in him. And I, I know for me, when I've read this before, honestly until like this last couple weeks, that, that how I read this passage, uh, how I've interpreted it, um, how I've understood it, is I look at it and the sin you know, that I think of is probably the sin that I go to time and time again, whether it's pride, whether it's lust, lying, you know, whatever the case may be, I think of that as this sin. And the good side of it, the good that I want to do but don't, honestly, like what I've thought, is just not doing that sin. That's the good that I want to do is to not do that. But let's read what James says, James chapter 4, verse 17, because I want to think about this together maybe a little differently than how we've thought of it before, at least for myself this last week. James 4, 17, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. I'll read that again. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. I'm going to read Romans 7:19 again. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. So sin inhibits us from doing good. Sin keeps us from doing good things. And I think as we look at the rest of Scripture, doing good doesn't just mean not doing bad. And I think sometimes we think of it that way, though. Like, if I could just get a handle on this stuff, that means I'm doing good. If I could just stop sinning in these ways, then I'm doing good things. But the opposite of lying isn't not lying. It's telling the truth. The opposite of lusting isn't not lusting. Like, it's living in right relationships with people. 
Like we never see the opposite of something of just not doing something because that still sticks us right in the middle. Jesus, as we look at who he is throughout Scripture, Jesus is very much about the do. He's very much about doing good. Um, I looked up in Romans uh, what this word good means in the Greek um, just to kind of get a grasp on it. I had heard of what, what good meant in the Hebrew in, in Genesis before, but I was curious, like this good, what are they talking about? Because I think there's always that potential um, to honestly go back to that picture of trying to do good deeds to save ourselves. But what is this good that Paul's talking about that we should be about, that he struggles with wanting to do? This is what the Greek says. It describes what originates from God and is empowered by him in their life through faith. So it describes what originates from God and is empowered by him in their life through faith. This makes it really clear that what Paul is saying in this passage isn't just not to do bad things. Because good things originate from God. God doesn't know bad. Like, he has never done bad. God is the only one that has done what is good 100% of the time, all the time. From the start of, of the world's existence, before that, now, and forever. So to do good for us, is realigning with what God intended for us as his people, spotless from sin in the beginning, to do what God loves, to do what redeems the broken things. So then if we read this passage with that in mind, like we want to do good, we want to do what is right, we want to do what originates with God, I don't want to do this bad. So why would we not? Why would we choose sin? Why would we sin by not doing good? And, and I know for me, the, the first thing I think of a lot of the time, because I work with high schoolers, is sometimes I go to the high school and hang out at lunch. And a couple times over the years, I've seen that kid that's sitting by himself or sitting by herself at a table. And everything within me is like, go be with them. This sucks for them. Nobody wants to be that. That's the number one thing, usually, almost all of us probably can remember that if you, if you went to a public school, maybe even a private school or whatever, you do not want to be that kid at the lunch table by yourself. And everything within me is like, go be with them. Are you kidding me? This is such a thing that should be normal for us to want to have this right relationship with one another. But then my fear kicks in. What if they reject me? What if they don't talk to me? Like, what if they think I'm dumb? What if their friends are coming in a little bit and I'm just going to make things awkward? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? And I just get paralyzed and I don't do it. I don't do what I know is good. And in that, what James says is I sin. Not aligning ourselves with who God is, that's what separates us. It's not just doing these bad things. Like, God created us in his image to be like him. Not all-powerful, not all-knowing, but to have characteristics like him. To be his imprint on this earth. And when we choose not to do good, we're not like God. Because God chooses to sit with that kid every time. That's what Jesus would do. God chooses to see the low. He chooses to see those that are hurting and goes to them 100% of the time. 
But we get afraid. We think we're not good enough because we're not. And so we don't, and in that, we in turn sin. So another example of this, with uh, so some of you may know my living situation um, with my roomies, and it's me, Mickey, um, Dan, and Zach uh, that all live together. And I'm sure this will bring up a lot of questions, but we all sleep in the same room. <laughs> yeah. And um, it's awesome. And I'm not for a, for a second going to say it's not awesome. Uh, because what we've chosen to do with that is we're not in a one-bedroom apartment. We're in a three-bedroom apartment. But we are living intentionally and in community together. We don't want to just be ships passing in the night, um, which is extra hard to do when you sleep in the same place. Um, we don't want to just go through the motions of being roommates. Like We want to speak life. We want to do good with one another. We want to be intentional. We get together twice a week. Sometimes it's wide awake. Sometimes it's very not awake at all in the mornings. And, and we, we have a conversation of like what's going on in our lives, what's going on in our hearts. We also go through business of who left their socks out yesterday and who didn't do the dishes. And that's separate from another day. But we want to know like how each other are doing. We want to speak life. We want to be encouraging. We want to pray together. We want to love each other well. And all that sounds dandy, except maybe sharing a room for some of you. But it's actually pretty fun. It's like one long sleepover. Um, but when you're intentional in those ways, when you choose to do life, people like, life with people like that, it's actually way harder. Um, and, and for you married couples, like you know that too. Like you know, because you already share a room, so it's not that weird. <laughs> all of you are weird. You did it first. Um, <laughs> so. It's hard, though. You're in that person's space all the time. And sometimes they do some stuff that kind of hurts your feelings or kind of isn't okay. And you're like, ooh, that's not good. And with my roommates and with myself, sometimes we see stuff in one another that it's like, oh, that's not great. I think I should say something about that. I think I should ask them about that. And it's hard because what if they reject me? And then I have to go to sleep in the same room as them, and it's going to be awkward. What if they don't agree? What if they lash back? And sometimes I really wrestle through, like, do I share this with them or not? And I hope they wrestle through that with me as well. Like, do I share this? Is this good to do? And unfortunately, there are times where I've withheld that for a season. I haven't shared what I think I should share. But 100% of the time, when I share with my brothers in Christ what's true and what's good and ask them questions about stuff that seemed sketchy, it's been good. Even if it's hard, even if that day, that week, that month is hard, it's been good because God uses truth. God uses when we act upon good, what aligns with him for the truth to set us free, to use it. When I keep it to myself, if any of my roommates keep that from me, we're sinning against each other. We're not doing what lines up with God. And I'm not just saying like every little nitpicky thing. No, this is like good, like heart condition kind of stuff where we're speaking that truth in love, not just to call them out for calling out sake, but because we love each other, we want to have conversations about what's good. Because not doing good, not speaking that truth, not being that light, cripples us as being light in this world. 
That's what God has called us to do, is to be the light of the world. If as Christians we're just focused on not doing bad, a lot of the world doesn't even know what bad is. So they'll just see us as ordinary people a lot of the time, unless we wear a WWJD bracelet or something like that. We're not shining bright then because we don't look very different. We're not choosing to do what lines up with God. We're just trying to sit like right in this middle line of like, I don't want to do this and this is kind of scary, so I'll just sit here. And automatically when we choose that, we actually choose this. I think we do that often, especially in America, so much so that the world now knows us more for what we don't do than what we do. Say that again. I think the world knows us more for what we don't do than what we do. And I'm not saying that's 100% all the time, and it's not my job here to try and convict anybody um, for that. But I, I know what's true for me, you know? Um, my friends, they know I don't get drunk. They know I don't smoke weed. They know I don't have sex. They know I don't do certain things. Um, and that's because of choices that I made that are good choices to not do those things. But more than that, when they think about their friend Matt, do they think about who I am and what I do out of love for them? Is that what defines me in their minds? Or is it the good that I do that defines me in their minds? A lot of the time Christians are known for being anti-abortion, anti-gay, anti-this, anti-that. And yes, sometimes that's totally because of what media does and, and chalks everything up um, to being this big anti kind of thing. Totally. I'm not talking about the media. I'm talking about the people in your lives, the people that you're in community with, your friends, your family. How do they know you as a Christian? Like, do they know you as someone that, that does good in a way that doesn't make sense all the time? That they, that they can call you when they're struggling with stuff with their wife or with their husband, and they know that you'll go on a walk with them and talk through it. Do they know that, that you keep inviting them like, to, to hang out and to do these things, or that you care about what's going on in their world, in their lives? That you'll even lay down sometimes your own desires to be with them. Do they see you as somebody that loves and loves really well? Do they see that, that you hurt? And sometimes you hurt really well, too. It's okay to let people who aren't Christians know that we hurt. We actually need to do that more. Because um, then it doesn't look like we just don't struggle all the time. So thinking about Jesus, thank goodness. I would say that Jesus was way more about the do than the don't. And once again, let's remember what do is, what good is. It's what originates with the Father, what originates with God. Because we see Jesus, as he comes onto the scene, this do, this good, was always an invitation, was always, um, was always this going, this sending, was always this action that took place. He was known for that. He was known for being with the lepers. He was known for being with the tax collectors because he went and he did good in those scenarios. And it didn't, it, even, when, even when he called people out and said that they were in sin, I think of the woman caught in adultery um, that Jesus says to her, I condemn you neither, but now go, sin no further. Um, that even 
Even that. He didn't say, don't have sex with guys anymore. He said, go. Don't sin anymore. It was always this sending, always this going. There are a few times um, throughout Scripture that Jesus says don't, especially to his disciples. Uh, he, he so often sends, goes, do this, that, and the other thing. And from what we see like, and how they respond, this is how they learn more who Jesus was because they actually followed in his steps of what he was doing as well because they were originating and realigning their lives with how the Father lives as well. In Matthew 5.17, and I hope this is where things kind of come full circle together, it says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The law that Moses had was a ton of don'ts. Um, There was a few do's in the midst of that. And because of what we read in Romans, where where sin wanted to to deceive uh, people in the law to bring about sin, ultimately, and this comparing, uh, there had to be a lot of these don'ts because they had to know what not to do. How Jesus ended up fulfilling the law is then you think of the laws that Jesus says are the most important. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and serve him only. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those two commands encompass all of the don't without addressing what not to do. It tells you what to do. Because when you do that fully with a heart focused on God, when I love my neighbor as myself, I don't covet what they have. I don't, I don't lust after them. Because it's so focused on what God has, the good that God has. I'm not saying that we're not going to struggle because Paul makes that clear throughout here. But how Jesus fulfilled that was that he lived what you were supposed to do. How you should live following Jesus. Instead of the Pharisees who lived with all the don'ts all the time. Think of just like the Sabbath. All the don'ts that they had for that day. Where then Jesus says, no, I'm the rest that you need. I'm the Sabbath. This is what you do. You, you, you come be with me on the Sabbath. You don't just restrict yourself from all these things. You, you Sabbath with me. The people actually that knew Jesus as being someone who had don'ts were the religious, the Pharisees. Like he doesn't keep the Sabbath. He doesn't do this. He doesn't do that. The people in the world, the people that he interacted with, knew him as somebody that went and was with them and did and did good. The Pharisees couldn't see that Jesus did good because they just saw all the things that he wasn't doing. So I would encourage us to live in the do. Don't live in the don't. Um, Almost like Mountain Dew should have that somewhere. (laughs) If there was another brand called Don't, uh, Mountain Don't, that'd be pretty funny. Um, But once again, I want to just reiterate, though, with these good things, these good works, you know, doing good, this is not what saves us. And sometimes the good that we think we're supposed to do actually isn't God's good. I'll tell a story um, to help illustrate this. So uh, several years ago, I was in a relationship, and it was medium long distance. Um, She lived in Portland, and I lived over here. So we'd meet up at Cascade Station a lot of the time to hang out. So... um, one of the times at Cascade Station, we're sitting in her car talking, and she had had a super rough day, crying, all this kind of stuff. And it was pretty late at night. Um, in the middle of this, uh, as she's talking to me and we're working through this, there's a bang, bang, bang on the window. And it's this mall cop. 
um, or Cascade Station Cop, you know, really up there in the world of authority. Um, and so he has us get out of the car because uh, he thinks we've been doing who knows what, windows are foggy, all that kind of stuff. Um, and he has us get out of the car, and he's so rude. Um, and clearly, like, my girlfriend had been crying, um, and so I was frustrated because she was so embarrassed in this moment. He's like, hey, you guys shouldn't be making out here, blah, 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 just getting on us for all this stuff, all these rules. Man, and the things that I wanted to do to this guy, like right then and there, um, I sinned, for sure. Um, and But we just submitted to his authority. Um, I think I said a couple things as we exited because I knew he couldn't arrest me. Um, and we left. Uh, probably didn't look a ton like Jesus in that moment. Maybe a week or two later, I am back at Cascade Station. I don't remember what I was doing there. I was like waiting to meet up with somebody, and I had some extra time because they were running late. So I'm reading my Bible. Um, and I'm like, ah, good, like time to spend with you, God, uh, as I read your word. And I'm reading, reading, reading. All of a sudden, this guy walks past the front of my car. And all of a sudden, all those things start building up again. And I want to go smack him. And, um, and God says, hey, you need to go ask for forgiveness. No. <laughs> for one, God, I'm reading the Bible right now, spending time with you. So I'm doing what's good here in this scenario um, and that guy was the punk. That guy was the jerk. Like, he doesn't need my forgiveness. He doesn't even know that I sinned. He probably doesn't even know what that is. And God's like, you're spending time with me, huh? Do you want to do what's actually good? Do you want to be what I'm about, what you're reading about? Or do you just want to pretend like you know what it's about and keep on reading? Oh. So I set down my Bible, get out of the car, walk up to this guy, the most awkward conversation ever. Say, excuse me, sir, I don't know if you remember, you thought I was making out a couple nights ago um, with my girlfriend. And um, and what I said to you, how I responded to you when you said that, was not okay. And I know that I was angry and too angry at you, so I'm sorry for that. Would you forgive me? And he said something along the lines, well, you shouldn't have been doing that anyways, even if you weren't doing that, but okay. Like... <laughs> Thank you, sir. Have a good day. <laughs> but I walked away from that, even though it was super awkward and super hard, and I was like, okay, like, God, I did what you said, and I rejoiced. Like, in that, I didn't just read the Bible. I did what it says. Like, as much as it's possible for me, be at peace with everyone, even if this rent-a-cop doesn't want to do that. Maybe I still am a little angsty about it. <laughs> um... But I had the opportunity to do good, like, in that moment. I don't know what it meant to that guy. I have no idea how God could use that. I don't need to know. I don't need to have control over that. Because our, our role isn't to, to weigh through, like, all our options and be like, God, what's the best good I can do right now? No, just do what God says is good 100% of the time, even if it doesn't make sense. In Colossians 4, 5, it says, Be wise in the way that you act with outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. I want to tell another story. And as I tell these stories, I'm not trying to go, ooh, good job, Matt. No, like, I'm trying to be a real person that has real opportunities where I, God has invited me to do good. So I was at Young Life Camp my first year. Um, this is probably three, four summers ago, something like that. Um, and I was with a group of freshmen, and these freshmen were all athletes. And so the first day, we're playing a ton of basketball. 
And so I end up getting caught up with a guy we're playing against. Our knees kind of like interlock. It twists, and I fall. So then that knee that I just twisted, smack on the ground. And that felt real good. For some reason, adrenaline was going so much, I just popped up. I knew it hurt, but I just keep playing. Um, and then as the night went on, I felt my knee getting a little more swollen, a little more swollen. Um, until the next morning when I wake up, I couldn't stand uh, at all. Um, I had to wake someone else up next to me to help me stand so I could get to the leader meeting. So then I'm on crutches. Uh, I found out later that I strained, uh, no, sprained my MCL and PCL, like when that happened. Maybe my ACL too. I don't remember. Here, we can talk about it later. Um, I should be doing therapy still, I think. Um, but I did that, so I was out of it. You know, I'm, I am on crutches, had never done that before, so I'm trying to get adjusted to that. Um, and I'm slow. And this camp is moving all the time, especially when I have freshmen. So they're zooming from one thing to the next. And, and at Young Life Camp at Canyon, everything's super spread out from each other. Uh, so it's hard to quickly get from one thing to another. So I'm making my way to the gym where I'm assuming they're going to be. I get down to the gym finally after what seems like an hour, uh, and nobody's in there. And uh, I really had a good picture of what it was like to be alone <laughs> that week. And it was actually really good for me. Um, so the gym's empty except for one kid. This kid named Devin. And Devin's in there shooting hoops. Um, and there's a couple other um, like Young Life staff kind of people in there watching him and stuff. And so I'm like, you know what, I'm here. I don't want to keep pitting out from these crushes. So I want to take a break. And maybe I'll just shoot hoops with this kid. Right as I start interacting with him, I notice that, that Devin has some sort of disability. Um, and socially, um, Devin's not fully, um, fully there to understand like the interaction that we're having. And Devin's just chucking the ball time and time again, just missing 100% of the time. But I'm having fun with him and stuff like that. And uh, then Devin says, I bet you I can make a half-court shot. And I've been watching Devin, and no, you can't, Devin. Um, so I say, Devin, I bet you anything from the little store in there, this ice cream shack, that you won't make that half-court shot. So Devin gets to half-court, dribbles a couple times, pulls back, just chucks it. Nothing but net. So then, for the first time in a couple hours, I have somebody that's willing to walk with me all the way back to the store because any person that we see, Devin stops then and says, everyone, listen to this. I got over on this guy. And like, we'll tell them the whole story. The walk back was way longer than the walk there. That is for sure. No matter who they were, Devin wanted to tell them what had happened. The unfortunate thing with this story is that it took crutches for me to notice Devin. Because I think most of the time, I would have passed over that opportunity. And the old me actually made fun of kids like Devin a lot of the time. But God, being good, giving us opportunities with outsiders, gave me an opportunity with Devin. That because it's good to be with those that are alone, because it's good to be with those who are least of these, because that originates with who the Father is, 
Because when he saw Adam alone in the garden, he said, this is not good. God is the one who sees that 100% of the time. And God said it was good for me to be with Devin. And I got to have an opportunity that I'll never forget that. It's one of my favorite moments I've ever had at the Young Life camp. So Harvest, like I have some questions for us. Do you see the opportunities that you have with others? Are you more known by what you don't do or by the good that you do? When you feel this war inside of choosing to do good or not, what do you most often side with? I don't want to sit here and give you all these ways that you could do good. Like I really want you guys to wrestle through that. I want you to think through in your life, like, Lord, what opportunities have you given me to do the good that Jesus says is good? Paul, in, in that end of that chapter, he says, what a miserable man am I. Like, who can save me from being the slave to sin? And he says, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ. If you've felt like you're a slave to not doing good, if you're a slave to sin, Jesus sets you free from that. Seek him this week for the good that he wants you to do, that he set aside for you to do, that he wants to partner with you, for you to originate, to, to be more like the Father, to be more like him. I want to be known as a church that's known for doing good. That, that if we left this community, it would be devastating. And I don't know. I don't know if that's the case right now. And I don't want to play the what-if game. I just want to do it. And I want to do it together. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll have the band come up. Jesus, thank you for who you are. God, and you resisted so, you resisted sin so much that you went to the point of shedding your blood for us, God. Lord, would we in turn, because of your sacrifice, resist the sin of, of choosing to not do good, of choosing to be afraid, of choosing to just sit in this middle area of just trying to not do bad things. God, would we go because of who you are? Would we go, like you said, make disciples of all nations? Would we have opportunities this week with family members, with friends, with coworkers, with strangers that we, we're seeking you in so that we're hearing the good that you have for us to do? And thank you, God, that you go before us in all of that and that we're never alone. In your name, amen.